If you're a first or second time guest with us this morning, we're really glad that you're here for the beginning of a new series on forgiveness or offense, or there's so many words here. Uh, But over the next several weeks, basically we're going to explore how to live free from the deadly trap of offense. Offense. Uh, This entire series is based on the book, The Bait of Satan, by John Bevere. Many of you are reading it right now to prepare to go through inner healing. It's a requirement in order to go through the inner healing ministry. Uh, Don't stop reading it just because of this series. I found out that he had a course online, a brand new course that he just started. So um, I paid, or the church paid for me to go through that course online and then present it to you. Uh, It's pretty powerful. There will be little snippets from the book. Things will look familiar to you if you've read the book, um, but also there are some things that aren't in the book. So please continue, excuse me, to read that. If you've never read the book, and even if you're not going to go through inner healing, we recommend that you read that book. Every Christian needs to read the book. In fact, I think once a year needs to go back over it. It's kind of like the movie The Passion of Christ, something that we need to uh, watch on occasion to remind ourselves of what Jesus did on the cross And I think we need to read this on occasion to remember not to fall for this deadly trap. Um, Because if we're honest this morning, we've all been hurt by someone else's words or actions at some point in our lives, right? Even teenagers. Lots of drama there. And a lot of us are in bondage right now from unforgiveness, and we don't even know it. I believe that this series has the potential to finally set you free But you have to receive the truth of God's word if you really want freedom. So are you ready for the Holy Spirit to radically transform your life? Amen. Thank you. One person's ready. Is anybody else ready? Is anybody else ready? Listen, this is a tough truth that we're going to dive into. This is really difficult. We love to hold on to hurt and pain from other people. We play it like a guitar every day. We love it for some reason. We love being angry. I don't know why. The truth that we're about to discover over the next couple of weeks um, can be really difficult to accept and swallow. And here's why. Because it goes against our sinful nature. It goes against the flesh. And as believers, we are in a war, right? We are in a battle against the flesh every day. Am I the only one that battles my flesh? And and I'm learning how to choose the Spirit over my flesh? So before I begin, I want to point out, especially to those that are new to the family, that 11 years ago when I moved here and became the pastor, God spoke to me very clearly that He was going to give me five spiritual goals for us as a body. So far, He has spoken four of them to me. I'm still waiting for him to give me the fifth. I believe he woke me up the other night and gave me the first part of it. I'm still trying to wrestle with that. So um, I'm, I'm wondering if he isn't holding out on the fifth one because we're not doing the fourth one real well yet, but we're starting to, okay? So here they are, Light and Life's uh, spiritual goals that God has given to us. And some of you with three and four had a role to play in wording this. Number one is to be unoffendable Christians. Two is to have, they're not necessarily in order, but this is just the order that he birthed them to us. Two is to have the fragrance of Christ. Everywhere we go, when we walk in the room, people sense that there's something different and they don't even know why. We don't even have to speak a word. 
There's just something about something that's coming from the pores of our body that people sense that there's something different. I want that. To be a source of encouragement for everybody in here and everyone outside the walls and to meet the needs of the less, less fortunate. Now, notice the first one. To be unoffendable Christians. I believe God gave us that as the number one spiritual priority because His heart is broken when His children inside His house are bickering and fighting when there are people outside the walls dying and going to hell. Amen. Would you agree? Amen. I really believe that's why He gave that. We need to stop it in here. Stop the drama in here. Stop being offended in here. Stop fighting. Stop being so sensitive and politically correct. We don't have time for it when we're building the kingdom of God and taking ground from Satan. Right. He feeds off of that. That's right. He loves to tear down churches. Right. And Jesus actually gave us a solution. I don't understand why it's such a bad thing in the church and in Christians today because he gave us a solution in Matthew 18 on how to deal with it and yet most of us are not following those instructions. Right. So in light of that, I really want to tackle this hard truth together so that we can finally be set free and begin taking ground from Satan and build up the kingdom of God. Amen? There's going to be a lot of information in the next couple minutes. There's going to be a lot of notes. There's going to be a lot of scriptures. I don't even know if I would encourage you to follow along in your Bible because there's, we'll just put them on the screen. It's going to be a lot, but if you can keep up, uh, try to keep up. Because in one of the most deceptive baits that our enemy lays out for us is offense. One of the most deceptive baits that our enemy lays out for us is being offended with somebody else. And every Christian has encountered this bait at some point in their life. Here's what John Bevere said in the introduction to his book. Offended people produce much fruit, such as hurt, anger, outrage, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, hatred, and envy. Some of the consequences of picking up an offense, oh, spelling error, are insults, attacks, wounding, division, separation, broken relationships, betrayal, and backsliding. I don't know if you see that today, but I see a lot of that today. Often those who are offended do not even realize that they are trapped. They are oblivious to their condition because they are so focused on the wrong that was done to them. They are in denial. The most effective way for the enemy to blind us is to cause us to focus on ourselves. In your notes, do you know why there is so much division and offense among Christians and churches today? John Bevere says it comes from a lack of genuine love. A lack of genuine love. And if we want to see revival, we have to be released from this trap of offense. We have to learn to refuse to be trapped by the bait of offense. We have to learn to avoid any kind of division with fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have to learn to never produce the fruit of the flesh that comes from offense. And that only happens with the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Because you've tried to do it on your own, right? It ain't working so well. <laughs> the Holy Spirit teaches and counsels us 
how to be free from being offended by other people. He teaches us how to be more intimate with God, to know God. He helps us to grow and mature so that we can be able to truly and genuinely love others, even our enemies. Would you agree that the disciples saw many amazing miracles that any generation has ever seen in our lifetime? Can you imagine personally witnessing people being raised from the dead? A totally blind eye opened right in front of you. People never being able to walk their entire lives, and all of a sudden, right in front of you, they're jumping and leaping and praising God. Pretty amazing, huh? Storms that even scared professional fishermen calmed in a moment. Right in, there, right in front of them. These were amazing miracles, but you know what's interesting? It wasn't those miracles that challenged their faith or caused them to doubt. It was actually something that happened towards the end of Jesus' three and a half years of ministry when he looked at his disciples and he said this in Luke chapter 17. If your brother or sister sins against you, even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. How did the disciples respond? Verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, O oh Lord my God, seven times in one day the same person, increase my faith. That's when they asked Jesus to increase their faith, when it came to offense, not opening a blind man's eyes. Isn't that interesting? In your notes, it wasn't the miracles of people being raised from the dead that caused the disciples to ask for more faith. It was when Jesus said, forgive your brother or sister who sins against you multiple times. That's what brought them to the place of saying, wow, Lord, you will have to increase my faith. Now, do you think these words are even more important today than it was back then? I say a definite yes. Jesus spoke of things that would happen before he returns. And many believe that we're living in those days right now. He said that we wouldn't know the day or hour, but you could recognize the season. You may sense it in the atmosphere that I'm about to come back to the planet Earth. Matthew 24, verse 10. By the way, I'm going to be speaking mostly from the New King James Version, uh, but it, it'll match up with your word for uh, most of the part. But the New King James Version uses the word offended uh, most often, so we're using that version. Matthew 24, 10 says, and then many, everybody say many, many. will be offended. Many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. The word that many means a majority of people. John says, John Bevere says in the book that every time he preaches this message at every church all over America and all over the world, and he gives an altar call, over 50% of people respond to the altar call for offense. Even though some may not respond because of pride. And that most of those people tell him later on by emailing him, that they didn't even know they were offended until the truth of God's word was revealed to them. So look at this verse that we, that's up on the screen. 
Do you see a progression of sin? Many will be offended. Everyone say offended. They will betray one another. Everyone say betray. They will hate one another. Everyone say hate. You see the progression? Starts with an offense, leads to betrayal, moves into bitterness. Yep. In your notes, an offended person will eventually betray, and if that betrayal is not dealt with properly, it will lead to hatred. Proverbs 18.19 says this, A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. Now, in the days of Solomon, he's the one that wrote the book of Proverbs, what did strong cities have around them? Walls. What were they built for? Protection. Ding, ding. They were built to keep, keep out the people that you thought were against you, and they would permit people in that you thought were for you. And this is exactly what happens to a person who is offended. They begin to build up walls. Now, the New Testament doesn't call them walls. This takes it more serious. The New Testament calls them strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, let me prove it to you. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. For the weapons of our warfare? Wait a minute. Is someone trying to tell me that I'm not on a playground? That this life is not like swinging on a swing? That it can be hard? And there's actually a spiritual war going on for my life? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, walls. Well, what are those strongholds? Casting down arguments. Arguments being imaginations or reasonings. I'll explain that in a minute. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity or to the obedience of Christ. In your notes, strongholds, strongholds are set patterns of reasoning through which we process information. I want you to remember what I told you about my inner healing experience. I didn't realize how much Satan was dominating my mind until I was inner healed. And now I've been set free. And he's no longer, I'm not saying he's not done trying, but right now, and I'm trying to maintain my freedom, that's part of the inner healing, you have to maintain it. I've been, so, I've been free, set free so much from the enemy that God's driving me nuts speaking to me. Seriously, he's driving me bonkers. I came in yesterday just to print the bulletin, and he started speaking to me, and he had me add something to the sermon. So it'll be about two minutes longer today. I, I, it's almost like he's screaming, and it's almost like, dude, you need to calm down. You know, but I think it's because I'm not used to it. I was bombarded with, I wonder if Amy doesn't like me. I wonder if she's going to quit the church because of something I said to her. I wonder when the church is going to fire me because I'm not worthy of this position. Dominated 24 hours a day with the stronghold of this, the way I filtered information. 
in the book, Demolishing Strongholds, that you will read for inner healing. It's just a couple chapters. It's really short. Don't freak out. It defines strongholds as this. Internal fortresses, those are the walls that we build up, of influence from which demonic spirits agitate, oppress, and afflict the soul. These spirits arouse and incline your mind, will, and emotions, listen to this last part, towards attitudes and actions that are contrary to the will of God. The enemy had me convinced that I was not worthy and that you would reject me eventually. And I forgot that I was loved by God. And I forgot that I was worthy of the call that he called me to. Right? So, we are basically told by the word of God to love one another, correct? In your notes. The love of God always focuses on giving, giving, giving. And a person who is offended starts to build a process of reasoning deep within their soul that filters all the information that comes into it. Also in your notes, an offended person's filter process is geared towards protect, protect, protect. So their focus is no longer give. It's about I have to protect myself from people. Not give to them, protect myself. When you are constantly in protection mode, it makes you a perfect candidate for betrayal. And many people only think of betrayal in extreme cases like Judas, right? However, betrayal is simply this in your notes. Betrayal is when I seek my benefit or my protection at the expense of someone I have a relationship with. That's what betrayal is. I'll betray you because I have to protect myself. You got a little bit close. Our relationship's not going any further than that. So I may even say something nasty to you, to Amy, because I'm trying to push you away and I'm going to betray our friendship because I must protect anybody from getting too close. Else I will be offended like I was 25 years ago. I want that to settle into your soul. The 25-year part. So listen, a betrayal is the ultimate abandonment of a relationship. In a betrayal, the love of God in our hearts begins to grow cold. Why? Because we're no longer giving ourselves to other people. Let me explain it this way. There are two C's in Israel. Okay? The Sea of Galilee... And then down south, there's the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee, Galilee up top, up north, receives water from the north. It freely gives water to the south. It runs down the Jordan River into the Dead Sea. So, listen, the Sea of Galilee freely receives and freely gives. And you know what? That sea is full and loaded with life. But those same living waters go down to the Jordan, go down the Jordan River into the Dead Sea. But the problem is the Dead Sea only takes in water. It doesn't give out. Hence the name Dead Sea. Nothing can live in the Dead Sea. There's no life because it does not give out. So in your notes, an offended Christian has the love of God coming in 
But now that the walls are built, the love begins to grow cold. Nothing's being poured out. So now the focus becomes self. And there's no life in self. Which makes you a perfect candidate for betrayal, which can eventually and ultimately lead to hatred. Now that's a life that is dead. And no life comes from that. Right? Is this too hard of a word? This is a good teaching. And you know what? Most Christians don't even understand hatred because they attach extreme emotions to hatred. Like hatred is when you lose it and you tell them exactly what you think. It's anger or it's frustration. But do you know that you can have hatred and not have any emotions attached to it? Look at David's son Absalom. He's a perfect proof of it. He hated his brother Amnon, but the Bible says he neither spoke good or evil to him. Or you can look at what the Apostle John writes in 1 John. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The word hate here is the Greek word missio, which means to love less. So this word here, hate, means to love less. In other words, it's a vacuum void of love. That means when a person hates, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily angry. Someone can be angry and yet still love and care for someone, right? I mean, you've been mad at me lots of times, but I know you love me. It means that they have no more love for that person. And betrayal can lead to hatred. And John says that if you hate someone, you're basically a murderer. So don't think that you have eternal life abiding in you. Back to Matthew 24, where Jesus said, and then many will be offended, they'll betray one another, and will hate one another. He goes on in verse 11 and says this, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Now, let's break that down. What does... He mean by then. That means after the offense. Remember, he just talked about many will be offended. After the offense, then, after the betrayal, after hate starts to grow, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So listen to this. This is so huge. This is going to be probably one of the gold nuggets for today. Who are the many? The ones that are offended, right? Which should shed some light on something. Here's one of those ding, 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 and here it is in your notes. An offended heart is the breeding ground for deception. And you know this, because you've listened to someone who's been hurt by someone else, and you've heard nothing of the Lord come out of their mouth, but everything of our enemy. Uh huh. Guilty. I know you are too. We're all in the same boat. An offended heart is the breeding ground for the enemy to deceive you into thinking you're right. And you have a right to be mad, and you have a right to slash their tires, and you have a right to throw a fish in the pastor's back seat where he won't find it for two weeks. Right? That's what, that's what the enemy tells us. Protection. Walls. So my way to keep myself from ever being hurt again is just stay away from people. Wow, that's real gospel truth. 
that's that's real cool life message. You go, girl. Right? Now, what does Jesus call this is going to be really interesting. What do people what does Jesus call false prophets in Matthew 7:15? They are wolves in sheep's clothing. <laughs> it doesn't say wolves in shepherds clothing. Correct? Everyone is always looking for false prophets behind the pulpit. I've got news for you in my 30 years of ministry. I've seen more false prophets sitting in the pews than I have behind the pulpit. And God's people said, ouch. So let me explain. This is so huge. You have to listen really careful. This is, this is the part God had me add yesterday. In the bait of Satan, John Bevere said this about deception. When a person is deceived, he believes he is right even though he is not. No matter what the scenario is, we can divide all offended people into two major categories. This is so big. Those who have been treated unjustly. Number two, those who believe they've been treated unjustly. People in the second category often draw conclusions from inaccurate information. Or their information is accurate, but their conclusion is distorted. Either way, they hurt and their understanding is now darkened. They judge by assumption, appearance, and hearsay. Do you get that? Some of you are walking around offended for no reason. It didn't even happen what you heard. You've been hating for a long time on someone who just loves you and wants to be your friend. But because you believed what Robert said, and because you believed what Susie said, In some cases, we believe what someone else says to us. In some cases, especially when walls are built up, we misread looks at church and at work. We misread statements and we misread actions. I, could, I knew they hated me. They brought me an apple pie to, to work today and there was no sugar in it. There was salt in it. It was disgusting. I knew it. I knew it. But if you actually went and found out the truth, they just grabbed the wrong jar. Salt and sugar kind of looked the same. It was just an honest mistake. But walls and protection and rejection and strongholds, why are we so... We are way too sensitive. Way, 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 way too sensitive. I'm, I was guilty of that. Now, do you understand when I say I don't care what you think anymore? You realize I do care, but my spirit doesn't care anymore. I care about the people that are closest to me most because they know me, right? So, we're so fragile and we're so filled with so much of the strongholds of rejection that we add this other stronghold offense, and as we will see in a minute in Hebrews 12, Jesus tells us, be careful. You better watch for. You better not be deceived. You better avoid being offended by either one of those categories. The real offense and the one you believe might have happened. And the biggest reason 
that we fall for and get offended over false information is because we do not follow Matthew 18, which basically says that if a brother or sister sins against you, go to them in private and tell them. 95% of the time, that's just a figure I'm making up in my mind right now. I'm not too smart, but 95% of the time that people have come to me and said, you offended me, I said, oh, you totally misunderstand what I understood what I said. I did not mean to. I am so sorry. I would never hurt you on purpose. Done. Now we're good. Over in an instant. The enemy hates that. The enemy likes to cause division. He wants you to call everybody in the church and tell them what the pastor did to you in the foyer. He's about destroying us. And we're allowing that to happen. Sometimes. Not in this church. Even in the definition, I decided just to look up in Webster's Dictionary to see what, how they defined offense. So this isn't spiritual at all. It says, resentment brought on by perceived insult. Now, how many of you like to watch programs about animals? Like National Geographic, you love watching the animals run down little lambs and destroying them and ripping them apart? You guys are morbid people. Sue? Sue? They're bad people, Sue. If you watch how the predators, like wolves and hyenas and lions, travel in packs, you will notice that they have a goal. Their goal is to isolate one of the animals from the herd. And do you know which animal they like to isolate? The wounded one. The weakest one. The slowest one. The offended sheep. Because if they can isolate this animal from the rest of the herd, that animal is meat on their table. Proverbs 18.1 says this. An angel prophesied this this morning. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and then he rages against all wise judgment. Mm, mm, mm. There's some meat for the soul. So here's the thing. You can be part of a big church, and you can be part of a big family, but the isolation occurs in the soul. And then you have a filter, your thought process, your reasoning, your mind, your thinking, your judgment, your views. And you can be a part of a big church, but because you isolated yourself, you're what? A target for the wolves. Are you with me so far? Jesus goes on, verse 12 in Matthew. And because lawlessness will abound, we would say that that's abounding right now in our time, the love of many will what? Grow cold. So what does lawlessness mean? It means not submitting to some things of God, or not submitted to God's word, lawlessness. So that means that Jesus is talking about lawless actions and thinking, the thought processes that are contrary to the knowledge of God. So in your notes, when we are hurt or offended, we set up these walls or these strongholds, and we think that they're going to protect us, but what they actually do is torment us. 
Just like we read earlier in 2 Corinthians 10. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And when we're hurt or offended, and we set up walls, we keep all of God's people out, and the enemy's just in there going, hey man, let's party together. I've got you isolated now. God's lied to you your entire life. Jesus or your family has lied to you your entire life. I mean, he was a pastor and he did that to you. I wouldn't ever go to church again. When lawlessness abounds, the love of many will grow cold. Would we all agree that lawlessness is abounding in our society today? Would you agree with that? There's a lot of tension in the air, right? But you know what is amazing about this passage? Jesus isn't talking about society. He's actually talking about inside the church. How can you know that? Well, if you look up the word love in this passage, it's the Greek word agape. Now, there are two Greek words for love in the New Testament. Agape and phileo. Okay? In your notes. Phileo is affectionate love. This is love that the world hates, or the, the, that the world has. Affectionate love. We all have that. Okay? Agape is the love that lays its life down for its brother. Agape is the love that loves even though it's not returned. That is the love that Jesus said that the world cannot receive. This is the love that Romans 5 talks about. We also know that Jesus is not talking about the world because of what he says next in verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, you don't go to an unbeliever and say, man, if you just endure to the end, you will be saved. No, you say this to somebody who has already started the race with Jesus. Someone who has already asked Jesus into their life. If you endure to the end, you'll be saved. You don't say it to the world. or You can, but... This message is for the believer, someone who's already started the race. Jesus is saying that in the last days, there's going to be massive offense, which will lead to betrayal, and if that betrayal is not dealt with properly, will lead towards hatred. And part of what we said about hatred is, it's when your love starts to grow cold, and you just don't care about people anymore. The result will be Christians who are deceived, and because of the stronghold of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. So listen, grows cold. I just want to explain that just so you understand. It means it happens slowly over time. Do you realize that our enemy is really good at what he does? It grows so slowly that Christians aren't even aware that they've grown cold from love. Many of us do not recognize that our love for God and for others is growing cold. Now, in your notes, kind of like we're shifting gears, but we're not. Who is the person who can hurt you the deepest? The person that is closest to you. David said it like this in Psalm 55. It is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me I could have hidden from them. Now we expect, don't we expect our enemies and the world to hurt us? 
But David said this instead. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and my close friend. What good fellowship, I love this part, what good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together in the house of God. But somehow you believed something that someone said to you about me, and now there's no more friendship. And now I'm hurt. You see, the closer the relationship, the greater the potential for offense. Now, why is that? Because our expectations are higher for people who are closest to us. And the average Christian, if you're anything like me, we're prepared for the world to mistreat us. Why? Because the world doesn't have the love of God in them. So we're, I shouldn't say ready, but we know it's probably going to happen. Someone's going to laugh at you because of what you believe. Someone's going to mistreat you at school. Someone's going to mistreat you at work just because you're a Christian. Now, let's say this is ground zero. So our expectations for the world are right here, right? Our expectations for brothers and sisters in the church, right here. For the pastor... Up here. For our spouse? Way, way up. That's why over 50% of marriages end in divorce. Because of the potential for massive offense is greater to the people that are closest to you. The reason that marriage disappoints so many is because we go into it with the wrong expectations. In other words, we didn't sign up to serve. We want them to serve my needs. We signed up to be served. That's what I thought marriage was supposed to be. She meets all my needs. He meets all my needs. And when they don't, we get offended and we look like this couple on the screen. Still living together, still going to church together, but we haven't spoken two months. And yet Jesus gets down on his knees and became the servant and washed his disciples' feet. Now, there's many things in the Bible that we will never understand and never really... Full I shouldn't say understand. Never really fully grasp. I have shoes on this morning. I hope you all do, too. Some of them didn't wear shoes back then. Most of them were open sandals. All of them, if they had them. And I hate to tell you, but I drive a car. There were horses and donkeys and sheep and lambs and, and you get in the picture, goats, walking on the same road that I just walked on on the way to this prayer meeting, Jesus, Jesus, why do you think one of the disciples said, Jesus, no, 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 no. You will not wash horse poop off my feet. Let me wash yours, but you will not wash mine. You're the Lord. Jesus says, no, I am giving you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. But I am here among you as one who serves. So when you think about a husband, a husband signs up to be the chief servant of the entire family. Are you listening, Johnny? <laughs> Wasn't sure. He's about to get married. Zach, you're, oh, you're getting married way sooner. <laughs> a husband signs up to be the chief servant of the family. Now, it doesn't rob the husband of his authority, ladies, men. It just changes the way the authority is administered. And likewise, wife, children, you are servants to your husband, your father, and your siblings. Any brothers and sisters in the room? You serve your siblings. I'm not saying you have to pick up their dirty clothes, but you figure it out. Check this out. In Luke chapter 17, he then said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come your way. It is impossible that no offenses should come. But pastor, I thought you said that one of our goals was to be unoffendable. That's why I always add the sidebar. It doesn't mean that you won't be offended. It just means that you have to try to remain unoffended by following Matthew 18. How can I say that you'll never be offended if Jesus just said, offense is coming your way. Prepare for it. Remember Jesus said in the last series, big trouble is coming. He also says, guys, massive offense is coming your way. But just like with trouble, how you respond to the offense is what will determine your life story, your future. In your notes, you're either, going to become, you're either going to become stronger from offenses or you're going to become bitter. Right? Truth. We can allow the storms of life to make us stronger and build our faith. <sighs> And when someone offends us at work, sometimes I tell you that sometimes love is not saying anything at all. And we can just turn away from them and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I did good. I didn't say anything. I know where their car is, but I'm not going to slash their tire. Wait a minute, Lord. What's that? What's that, Lord? Okay, remember, so if our minds are free from the stronghold of offense, God will speak truth to us. And just like he did with me two years ago in hunting when three different people took my hunting spot on opening day and Jerry and I had to go find another spot and we just sat down in the middle of the woods, I sat there and I went, okay, Lord, help me to be able to love, or, you know, help me be able to love them, help me be able to love them, help me, you know, some of them are Christians and they knew that was my spot, help me be able to love them. Wow, this is hard. And all of a sudden he said, not only that, Mark, I asked you to pray blessings on them. Lord, help them to get a big deer. <laughs> I did. It was really, it took me 25 minutes. <laughs> hey, I'm on this journey with you. I have flesh just like you. I wanted to kill people that day. <laughs> okay, so 
I think sometimes it's okay to vent, and Jerry will tell you, a little later on, those people left, Jerry got a massive nine-point buck. Huge. We just sat in the woods somewhere I've never sat before, and 10 yards away, 15 yards away, Josh is questioning whether it was massive, but it was big. 15 yards away, he walks broadside. So we're standing over the deer. Jerry's on the other side of the deer. I don't know why I'm saying this. It's just a bunny trail, but you don't have anything to do today. So he's standing over there, and he's just thanking the Lord. I didn't ask him to do it. He just said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for all the things that we ran into. Now, while he's praying, I've got my eyes open. You'd think the pastor would be on his knees and, you know, whatever. But I'm just sitting there looking at him like this. I'm waiting for him to open his eyes. And he's like, thank you that even though we ran into obstacles, you still blessed us because you love us. Thank you. And he opened his eyes to his pastor going, and he's like, what? What did I do? I go, what about your hunting guide? I'm the one that picked this spot. You know. <laughs> but he'll tell you, he'll tell you that I screamed at the top of my lungs, take that. And I wasn't yelling at the enemy. I was yelling at people in the woods. But <laughs> I had a weak moment. I have them. Okay. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. Help me. All right. Next slide. Offense. Offense. The Greek word for offense is scandalon. The trigger of a trap on which the bait is placed and which, when touched by the animal, springs and causes it to close, causing entra entrapment. Do you understand? That's the definition for offense. It, the actual definition is it's a trap. It's a lie. And a trap holds you for years, some of us. So listen closely in your notes. An offense is the bait of Satan to pull the believer into his captivity. That is important for us to realize, some of us in this room, because we are trapped right now from offense. And we've been trapped... For some time, spinning in circles, wondering why we're not hearing the voice of God, why we're not like other Christians at church, wondering why we're not growing spiritually, wondering why our relationships are all broken, wondering why we're not seeing any victories over our addictions, and our behaviors that we hate so much. The Complete Word Study Dictionary goes on to say this about scandalon, offense. Offense, scandalon, it always denotes an enticement to conduct which could what? Ruin the person who's been offended. Hebrews 12, 14, 15 says this, Pursue peace with all people, and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, there's what I was talking about earlier, Jesus reminding us, look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any what? Root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Defiling is the word that means ruining a person. You see how dangerous offense is, guys? 
The scary thing is, is most people don't even realize they're offended. Or they're offended by something that's not even real. Paul confirms this trap when he writes to Timothy. Look what he says in 2 Timothy 2, 24-26. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, in other words, offended with each other, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses. That's what freedom does. It brings you back to your senses. Escape the snare or the trap of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Another scary thing is that you can be a pastor, you can be serving on a ministry team, you can be going to a life group every week, and you can attend church every time the doors are open, and you can even be witnessing to people and still be trapped by the enemy. Where you think you are releasing living water, when actually your water is tainted with hatred and offense. John Bevere said that he believes that the enemy is going to raise up an army against the church in the next several years. Why? Because he also believes that the, that the greatest move that the planet Earth has ever seen of the Spirit of God is about to happen. Amen. When the enemy rises up, God rises up above him. He's always under our feet. John Bevere said this in closing. I want to show you a quote, and then I'm going to give you a homework assignment if you want to do it. You don't have to. The plan of the enemy is to use Christians who have been taken captive and who are now unknowingly trapped and releasing bitterness instead of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus for the glory of God in unity as a family should. Let's take out our connection cards. Everyone's filling this out. We want to make a decision today. You may think they don't mean anything. Do you know what I noticed about the process of inner healing? That there's something about submission to the process. So please don't, please don't fight your local church on this. This is so huge. If, if you saw some of the things that were written, and maybe you don't think uh, it's important, but you know, sometimes people are looking around because they have so many walls built up. And they're looking around, and if you're not filling one out, they decide they're not going to fill one out. Not that they can't make a decision in their heart. They can. But we like to make a decision here at the end of every sermon. You don't have to do it on paper if you don't want. We would like you to, especially if you made a decision in the one or two boxes, the first two boxes, to begin a relationship with Jesus by trusting Him with my life. If you've never, have ever said the prayer, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. I'm going to begin today by trusting you with my life. And I realize that doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. We'll figure all of that out. But thank you for forgiving me for my past. You can do that today. Just check that box just so that we know and we can send you something. Maybe you're here today and you just drifted away from God for a while. And you know now after today, especially hearing this word, that you've allowed the enemy, you've been captive of the enemy when you used to serve God. Maybe you want to return to that relationship. You don't have to say the sinner's prayer. You just say, Father, forgive me for walking away from you. I'm back, baby. And I'm back with a vengeance. 
I'm stirred up and moved by this word, and I'm going to begin building the kingdom of God, and I'm going to start taking ground from Satan instead of helping Satan take ground. And this is where it begins in the next two boxes. Everybody hone in on those. To learn to pursue peace with all people and not fall for the bait of offense. I know that may not happen overnight, but begin the process today by making that decision with God. Maybe today someone came to your mind and you want to check box number four and say, you know what, today I've decided that I'm going to forgive someone that has hurt me in the past because I'm tired of living in captivity and I want to feel free. Maybe you need to write them a letter. Maybe you need to go to their house and maybe you need to say, I forgive you or will you forgive me? You decide how to word that. Please place those in the baskets on your way out. You ready for your homework assignment? No, you don't have to do this. It's just something that John Bevere um, provides on his website, messengerinternational.org. That's John and his wife's website. As soon as you click on that, there will be this, are you holding a fence? Take the quiz. It's just between you and the website. I don't know what they do, but it's just for you to find out whether you may be holding a fence and you don't even know it. So write that down. I forgot to put it in the notes. I would have done that, but it was a last-minute thing this morning that I put on there. Um, so if you want to find out, maybe you can start with this introduction to this series about finding out if maybe there is something there. Let's stand. I hope that you've learned today that the bait of Satan is a very serious issue. It's not something to be taken lightly. And it's probably one of the hardest truths of God's Word that you're going to have to learn and live out. Because you know what's going to happen? Either today or tomorrow, someone's going to cross you. And you have a decision to make. Am I going to allow the bait that Satan just laid out for me to entice me and to go for it so I can be trapped by whatever they just said? But our goal with this series and with Inner Healing Ministry is to see all of us on a journey to become completely free from any kind of offense. Amen? Amen. Place your hand on your head, if you're willing to, and repeat after me. Lord, protect my mind from being deceived by the bait of offense. Help me to pursue peace with everyone so that I may live in freedom in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great week.
Shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb.